And the reading will come on the screen. I see a few people reaching into their bags and smartphones and, uh, and all that. I encourage you to bring Bibles. Is that, oh, he keeps going on about this. We keep going on this. Maybe put it on your Christmas list of a Bible, because I'm sure you haven't got one, um, that you can bring to church. Or, or uh, I don't know, something to remind you. Bring the Bible to church. Take it with you. One of the things that really spoke to me when I was, wasn't a Christian when I was 19 was one of uh, the people that I got to know quite well. He, he didn't just have a Bible that was always kind of just like tucked away. He, it it kind of kept moving about. And he was quite messy, so it wasn't the fact that he just like kept being tidy. It was that he, he genuinely read it. And, that, and he kind of took it places with him, and that was just odd to me. You know, that why would someone just carry it around and read it? It's amazing just little things can speak really profoundly. You know, of what we give importance to by our actions. There endeth the lesson. Acts chapter 8. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. That's the death of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he did. He said, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and, and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Father, thank you. In these moments we choose to submit to your word and to your spirit. That as I've prepared and as I speak these words, I pray that your spirit would speak again to all of us, to remind us and and kind of give some revision to things we know about, but maybe have lost track of, but also to speak freshly and powerfully. I pray that the words that we, we share together and the understanding that derives would be significant. Train us, Lord. We're open to you. Amen. Amen. Um, Some of the things that I say will come up on the screen. There we go. Uh, Proclaiming Jesus to people today. If the eyesight's not good or you can't see it, there's a stone that says, don't give up. If any, you take anything from this message, it's summed up in those words, don't give up. Okay? That's not licensed for you to turn off now, either. 
don't give up, proclaiming, people to, proclaiming Jesus to people today. It's part of our, our vision statement. You can see it in front of you on one of the banners, and it's now on the screen. These aren't all we're about, but they're kind of the guiding features, and we're taking time, as you know, to preach through them. This is the last one on proclaiming Jesus to people today, although that theme crops up all the time. If reaching the nations about proclaiming people, uh, Jesus to people today, but uh, we, we obviously got Nativity next week and Christmas the following week and then New Year, and we'll pick up in 2012 all about making disciples. But uh, proclaiming Jesus to people today, making disciples, building God's kingdom, praying for revival, planting new churches, and reaching the nations. Exciting, isn't it? That we're all part of this. All part of this. Here's uh, a little bit of light relief. They've got it over this side. This side aren't convinced. Um, It's not funny, I know. Anyway. It's proclaiming Jesus to people today. Where do, where do we begin? I was thinking about how I became a Christian this week. And I've been think, we've been thinking a little bit about how we win people. And it's not about techniques. It's not about programs. It's not about just about the kind of, these are the, these are the steps and you'll end up, you know, like put a coin in the slot and out will pop a new believer. <coughs> But it's just worth reminding ourselves of what seems to be effective. This isn't, let me tell you what didn't happen in my conversion. I didn't walk past a notice board outside a church that said, seven days without Jesus make one week and fall to my knees in acknowledgement of my need for God. The word play on week, you know, week and week. I didn't stop to listen to an open-air preacher in the marketplace one Saturday morning there on the street give my life to Jesus. I didn't come into a living faith because I was in a traffic jam behind a car with a sticker on its back window that said, Jesus, the King has victory. I didn't get saved because late one night I was scanning the radio channels listening for music when I heard someone telling me that I was a sinner going to hell. I didn't get converted on my way to a party by seeing a tract lying on the ground telling me now was the day of salvation. So it begs the question, how do most people come to faith in Jesus today? How do most people come to faith? Here are some statistics. They're provided by a man called J. John who's very good at winning people to Jesus. He's an evangelist. Look at these figures. 1% come because they've been visited by a church member. It varies a lot from area to area, so that's a flexible figure. 2% come because of the church program. For example, a ministry for the deaf, a children's holiday club, meetings for senior citizens, lunch clubs, and so on. 3% come because of a special need, maybe bereavement. 4% come because of children's work. 6% come because they see some publicity. 8% because they have some personal contact with the ministers and other church staff, perhaps through visiting and hospital marriage preparation or pastoral help. It's like family fortunes. Now what's the biggest one? 77% come because they're invited by friends or relatives. All of them bring people, but one clearly in our day and age, 
is most effective. Does that surprise you? Probably not. It's a reminder that we have people in the church who are particularly gifted in in evangelism, is what we call it as evangelists. We have events that we draw people to. We've got three next week. We've got invitational events and men's breakfast and ladies' lunches and coffee and chat on Monday mornings and all sorts of things. But if we just only rely on those, we'll see drip, drip. But if we do more, if we're all involved in proclaiming, I know you are, but encouraging you just don't give up, we'll see more. Now, um, this is a really simple illustration. I I need a volunteer, please. You're not going to be embarrassed or hurt or pied in the face with shaving foam. There's no chocolate involved in case you were... I know that cuts it. Any volunteer, there's lots of me to pick on here. Um, Thank you. I don't know your name. I'm Kate. Kate. I belong to them. You belong to them. Well done. Um, I'm guessing that's your daughter, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, this is a simple illustration. It's not rocket science. If we just kind of opt for winning people one by one and leave it just to the few, it's a bit like this. I want you to go and find some, just, just anybody. You can be courageous if you like the look of someone or not the look of someone, <laughs> just to make it clear. This is not, uh, just go and find someone, bring them out. There we go, yeah. He's, so come out. So one becomes, one becomes two. Can you go and find someone else? Called her out, great. Um, and can you find someone else? Okay. You have to go and get them. <laughs> there we go. And somebody else, please. There we go. Now you can see if I asked um, Kate, Kate to do this all the way till every one of you has been picked, it will take quite a while. But we'll get there eventually. Do you get that? Okay, can, if you all go and sit down again. Not, not you, Kate. Oh, okay. You're still my volunteer. Okay. <laughs> now, we're going to try this again, and this is just a symbol. Can you go and find someone, please? Okay. Okay, now, so just like before, one becomes two. Now, both of you go and find someone. Bring them out, please. Ah, look at that. <laughs> and all four of you go and find someone, please. Bring them out. Go and find someone and bring... Yeah. No, you've got to bring someone out, um, Carl. No, you have to say... You have to go. Now, each one of you has got to go and find somebody, please, and bring them out. Everyone can find someone else, bring them out. Find someone else, Carl. Duncan's on the front row, you can... Okay, you're all beginning to think, oh no, they're going to come for me next. But you get the idea, so go out and find someone else. Please, everyone, find one other person. It's quite a crowd. Let's do it once more, shall we? Everybody here, go and find someone else, please.
goodness me, I don't think there's enough left in the, in the room to, be, uh, to go out and fetch some more. But do you see, like, within a very short time, it's a really obvious thing. You can all sit down. That's brilliant. You've all been wonderful volunteers. If you can find your seat now, I know it's difficult. And uh, where were you? <laughs> So it's a really it's exponential growth. It's, it's a really obvious um, way of describing it. But it makes the point, if we just leave it to the few, we will see growth. And we have seen growth in the church. What we are really hoping for... You should be a hurdler, Susie. You're kind of like... <laughs> I'm sure they'd let you out if you kind of asked politely. Um, the point being that... If we all begin to do this, you just see how effective it suddenly is. I know that was very quick and happened in minutes, but if we said that this happened every six months or maybe being conservative every year, that we were able to do this for one disciple to find another and those two to find someone else and four and et cetera, et cetera, we would see more. Now, I know it's not as simple as that, but we do believe in a God who is powerful and we trust Jesus when he said that the fields are white unto harvest. The laborers are few. In, the, in the, the language of this passage, persecution in Jerusalem happens. Stephen, the first martyr, is killed. And from that day, great persecution hits the church in Jerusalem. And there's some really interesting verses all except the apostles were scattered. In other words, the apostles, those ones we could name, those ones who are kind of the famous ones, Peter and John and James, etc., kind of stayed in Jerusalem. But it, said the, it says the, uh, all except so the church, those believers, were scattered when they kind of were sent out. They fleed persecution. But they didn't just go and hide. It says in verse 4, those who been scattered, preached the word wherever they went. Philip was one of them. He was one set apart and kind of as a deacon to help with practical helps. But he also was someone who was a passionate sharer. We kind of label him now. We know Philip the evangelist. He was Philip the deacon first, the servant. And we know he met someone in a chariot that was going back down to eastern Africa and, and spoke about the gospel. And that man went back to Ethiopia with the gospel in his heart. And witness that it's about you and I. But when I say me, you probably think, yeah, you're the minister. That's your job. We pay you to do that. And we expect you to because you're committed and a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I am. I'm committed to make Jesus known. But it's about us. It's about each one of us making Jesus known, proclaiming Jesus to people today. One of the things we're so glad about is in seeing in this term, people have come to faith on Alpha on the high street, but it's about three or four, fantastic, precious, but three or four in the grand scheme is not much. We need to see more because lost people are dying, and this is one of the biggest callings upon us. We've preached about it before and we thought about it. It's a command of Jesus. It's not an option. Go and make disciples. Call followers. You see, if we leave it, and this is one of the things J. John described, he says, 
If we analyze the average Christian in Britain and think about, who thinks about sharing the good news of Jesus, he says, I would imagine eventually they would come up with something like these three statements. Most evangelism is done by specialists, the pastors and vicars and ministers in special settings. Or they'd say ordinary people are only involved in evangelism on extraordinary occasions. In other words, when you're made to do it. Or when it's kind of like the mission week. And thirdly, evangelism is the sharing in words the truth with Jesus with non-Christians. And he makes this comment, he says, this is not the real danger. The real serious problem is something else. That It is this, that if we hold these beliefs, we're restricting the witnessing of Jesus in time, place, and manner. Effectively, we're saying this, the good news about Jesus can only be preached for two hours on a Sunday, morning or evening. The good news about Jesus can only be proclaimed in an authorized place. The good news about Jesus can only be proclaimed by accredited specialists. And the good news about Jesus can only be proclaimed when we use specific ways of words. That we limit. You know, in places where the gospel is, uh, is controversial and there's rules against it, that's kind of like you can only do it in set times and set places and set ways. That the, the English church, the British church, has kind of got this mindset that we only do it in these authorized ways. But that's not true. It's about all of us. Each one of us. Sharing. Do you see it? People are involved. I think we've got a screen coming up. There we are. It's about you and me. It's about God's people. There's... um, uh, there's a really helpful book I'd commend to you uh, if you want to. I mean, I'm going to be practical in a minute, uh, but uh, it's often in the services we haven't got em- enough time to go into all the nuts and bolts. So we really want to commend to you a book called, uh, by Bill Hybels called Just Walk Across the Room. I think Phil used this phrase last week. Is that right? No one was here last week. <laughs> He'll be encouraged to know. Just Walk Across the Room uh, by Bill Hybels, Simple Steps to Pointing People to Faith. And essentially, he he just says in this book two things. That the Holy Spirit really wants people to know Jesus more than we are. And he's at work in lots and lots of ways. And it's part, there's no technique and there's no procedure, although techniques and procedures are good and alpha and all those things. But if we want to reach people for Christ, we've just got to kind of get out of our comfort zone and walk across the room. Christmas, who's going to a Christmas party in a, few, in a few weeks? If you're anything like me, you'd much rather sit with your friends and talk to people you know because it's easier, isn't it? And he says, if we're going to win people, just walk across the room, stick your hand out and say, hi, I'm... Well, don't say, hi, my, I'm Edward, because you're not, but say, you know... <laughs> say who you are. It's, it's awkward. I mean, it is, it's just... Not always. Some people find it really easily, easily, the extroverts, those kind of really social ones, but a lot of us aren't. But just go across and sit down and just start to talk. But not just start to talk, be listening to what God is saying, that God is able, and we talked about these spiritual kind of moments or holy coincidences or you know, God-ordained moments. There's lots of them. And part of this book is just to say, to, to be listening to God, that God is, is just kind of weaving people's lives together really creative ways, that it's not always successful. We don't always see someone immediately come to faith, but of getting to do it. I really commend this. It's a great book. 
um, put it on your Christmas wish list. Two weeks to go to your partner, to your child. I've got a present. You didn't know what to buy him yet, and it's only £10. One of these, please. It's a good book. But it kind of raises the, the, kind of the question for us. Why? Do you, know, do you sometimes look at people in the church and think, they're good at this and I'm not? There's people that I know about in this church who are just kind of naturally good at this proclaiming Jesus today. They seem to just have this, uh, you know, uh, they just kind of seem to do it without an effort. Do you know who I'm talking about? And if you're anything like me, it's always a bit like, I was at the barber's, I know Mark says I've got an Eastern haircut, um, and it was by the barber. But the barber in Camden is someone with kind of a number of us are trying to just witness to, and he's got an assistant that we're witnessing to. And I sit in that chair, and I always feel a bit vulnerable with the scissors <laughs> by my ears. And, uh, but it's a really great opportunity. It's like captive, isn't it, those moments. And they do like to chat, and they do want to talk about stuff. And I found that's a, just a, a chance to talk about what's going on. What do you do? It's easy, easy opener. But some people just seem better at sharing their faith than other people. Some seem to find it natural to get into these conversations about God. But it's not just those people that it's left to. What makes someone good at proclaiming Jesus to people today? Is it innate? Or can it be learned? Could you be better at it? There are some things to learn, but I just want to focus on, on some, some kind of steps, or not that this is a program, but just remind us. Firstly, if we want to become better at proclaiming Jesus to people today, we've just got to do it. Rocket science, isn't it? Witnessing gets done. There's a, a quote that's going to pop up. There we go. Opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. It's Thomas Edison. People who are effective at proclaiming Jesus Christ to people today do it. They don't kind of sit back and think, well, it's got to take a supernatural kick up the backside for me to open my mouth. They, they're kind of in that mindset at the start of the day or when opportunity comes, saying, Lord, just let me, when opportunity comes, it may be not every day, but let me see the opportunity, to see the perspectives, to see the kind of kingdom outlook that would mean that I can share in some way. It doesn't have to be like the full gospel rammed down someone's throat or your full testimony, but in some way of sharing something about how you've prayed, of how you've been to church, of how you've seen uh, someone, you've known someone that's become a Christian recently, that you've, you've kind of taken an attack on life, something that you've read. Maybe even you've carried your Bible somewhere and they've noticed and people say, oh, you know, just opportunities happen. It just happens. Witnessing needs to get done. The, the scary truth is, and, and this isn't a rule, but it seems to be kind of like the way it happens. The longer you are a Christian, the less likely it is you're going to witness. I remember when I became a Christian when I was 19 at university, and I was probably a real pain in the neck to everybody who wasn't a Christian because I was really, really committed such that I set up a, a, like a just looking group two days after I'd become a Christian and invited lots of people. Five came to it. Four of them came to faith. Fantastic. And I got involved in, in various things and students love to do like Christian Union outreach and mission events and it's, it's brilliant. And, but I know partly because the longer I've gone on I've got less Christian friends, uh, non-Christian friends, but partly because... Take two. 
highly as I've gone on, I have got less non-Christian friends than Christian friends because, you know, particularly in the job I do, in the role I have, I get to associate with all you wonderful people, just to remind you of that, but I don't spend as much time with non-Christians. And as such, my witnessing rate, if I can phrase it like that, goes down. People who just come to faith just love to talk, and they've got loads of non-Christian friends. I think part of it is that my non-Christian friends now, I, I've, I've started to do a bit of Twittering. I don't really like it, but, and I've linked it to my Facebook. If it's going over someone's head, don't worry. But I've, in Twitter, I kind of put a few like, comments about church or something that I read that I find inspirational. And a non-Christian friend to me said this week, said, Edward's gone all religious. <laughs> I didn't know if you'd take it as a compliment or as a criticism. And he said, but you could probably get away with it because we know you. Um, but I just thought, that's quite interesting, isn't it? And it was a challenge to me that I want to witness more. If you're new to the faith, just keep sharing about what God has done. The challenge for me, and I think for those of us who are older, is to keep on finding and being in relationship with non-Christians, friends with but also not giving up. I know when you know someone a long time, you kind of think, I've said this and I've said this and I've said nothing seems to change. And we kind of eventually just go a bit quiet. But we need to keep on. Witnessing needs to be done. If you're uh, an old saint and you say to me, you haven't got any non-Christian friends, can I go and make some? And if you're so caught up with church life that you never have time to do anything, show me what you're involved with and I'll give you Get, you know, I'll give you an exemption from some things and you can go and make some friends. Do you know, I was, I was thinking about this this week and I, I remembered when I was 19 of, uh, of my, this friend that helped me come to faith 20 years ago. And I texted him, I said, I'm really, I'm so into technology, aren't I? Twitter and Facebook and text, you know, I'm, I'm so with it. Um, and I was, I just kind of texted him, I said, I'd, I, just, I really want to thank you for just, you know, he knows this, but I just want to say thank you for taking, the, taking those moments to witness to me. Because he, he need not have done it. And I said, thank you for doing that. I'm so glad that I'm now a follower of Jesus. I'm really glad you made the effort. He did it. And if he hadn't have done it, who knows if I'd have been a Christian Sometimes as a church, we talk about witnessing, we go on courses about witnessing, we pray about witnessing, but do we do it? We want to proclaim Jesus to people today. Witnessing gets done. Secondly, you need to get close enough to those you want to reach. Think about the Christmas season. If if 2,000 years ago, God had wanted to give humanity a message, he could have done it without sending Jesus. He'd met with prophets and individuals and given the Ten Commandments and words through prophets and communicated to humanity. He didn't need to be incarnated to be born amongst us. Perhaps there would have been safer or faster or less costly options. Maybe he could have painted words on Ayers Rock or something or sent some more tablets of stone or got some tracts kind of raining down in a tract snowstorm. But he didn't. Words weren't just enough. He came amongst us because he knew that a loving look or a loving touch of being there makes every difference. That God wants to reach to people, not just conceptually, but 
to the heart to say that we matter, that we're precious. Every human being, at the deepest level, he loves us and he chooses us. That Jesus had to be born. God's presence with us, amongst us, touching and helping and caring and dying. That there's not an inch of distance between God and humanity. He identifies with us utterly. You need to get close to those who you want to reach. I was thinking about that myself and of the time we use. And let me just ask you, how much, how much time do you think uh, people, and this is an EU statistic, so this is Europe-wide, given that we're multicultural, how much t- uh, of Britain's free time do you think we watch television? of our free time, we watch TV. 45%, half of our free time, we, on average, people watch television. Um, 24% free time socialising. 22, 23% on sports or hobbies and 10% on other activities like DIY and and all that. 45% of our time, television. And that's usually... I know we might do it in the company of others, but very individualistic, isn't it? It's like no conversation happens, really, when telly's on. Have you noticed that? Maybe think, you know, the world's not going to end if you miss Coronation Street one, you know, for a week. You don't know. <laughs> Let's have a little... Let you, uh, you miss Coronation for a week, and we'll see if the world ends, all right? If you're right, I'll give you all the glory, but if you're not... Television is the most commonly, uh, you know, we've said this, the average viewing time is 25 hours per person per week. 25 hours per person per week. Average. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you do. But just think, you know, you have no time to witness. Turn the telly off. Invite someone for a meal. Go to your neighbour, and you know what God challenged me, uh, and I've, I'm still thinking how to do it. But I've got various businesses next to my house, and uh, Mick will know that. And there's various people across the kind of the back, and I, well, I want to do something this Christmas of just to go to them because I see them, I smile at them, I say hi, but I've never really kind of got to know their names, and they know when I'm coming and going because of the car. But I thought this Christmas season is a great opportunity just to kind of where people aren't fussed by you just turning up on the doorstep. So I might make some mince pies, take them to them and say, Happy Christmas, and see what happens. Get close to those you want to reach. It takes time, it needs love, and it needs involvement. But if it matters, we'll expend time on it. If we want to reach and proclaim to people today that Jesus is alive, it will take time, and it will take effort, but we need to get close to people. The reminder for us that people are precious. We know that because we, we, we speak about it. People are precious. It's not about just kind of getting them and filling up the church and thinking, aren't we great? But communicating that you're precious. You know, I've got friends over these 20 years who've not come to faith yet and spending New Year with them, they're precious to me. And I long and I pray for them to come to faith, but I'm not going to sort of, you know, give them another year and then write and go on to someone else. I'm going to stick with them and pray for them and pray for them and love them because they matter. 
I want to show you just this video clip. It's, it's a, a bit of a light relief. Have you heard of flash mobs? People kind of go to a public place and do something crazy. This is going to come up. It's not going to come up. Let's do it that way. You'd be <laughs> in, the, in the thing, but what you know, I was thinking about it, it's kind of amazing. Um, uh, just a reminder what, what spiritual lesson can we draw from that? It's not about just about recycling, though, that's a good kind of message. I, I was just kind of reminded as watching that, you know, when one sinner Jesus says repents, there's just a party in heaven. I love that. This one lady picks up a plastic bottle and pops it in the thing, and it's like, yay, it's like, it's like the end of the world, you know. Yay. But you know, as we witness, as we find one by one by one people coming to faith, there's just like celebrations in heaven because people are precious. You can do that about a little plastic bottle. How much more? But also, I've just wanted to encourage you that, you know, it's a simple, small act. Picking up a bottle, putting it in a thing is a simple, small thing. You know, it's not going to save the planet, really, is it? But actually, the simple, small acts that we do, I just kind of want to have that mindset that God is pleased. That as we make Jesus known, as we proclaim to him, I know we're not all going to put red hats on and come around and celebrate him, but why not? Can't we celebrate more and more amongst us when we see people just stepping out in faith and cheering each other on and encouraging and saying, well done, this is what we're meant to be doing. Fantastic, glory to God, but well done for being faithful. Well done for taking the risk. Well done for stepping up to what God has asked you to do. Well done for being obedient. And maybe we just for a moment as we put the hats on go, yay, and then we carry on with life. But we, we're committed to this. Mindful of the celebration in heaven when precious people turn to him, but encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds. 
Can we be like that? I hope so. People are, are precious. Uh, also, we need to communicate in ways people understand. You might say at the door, you've not done any of that today. William Booth, founder of Salvation Army, in speaking to Rudyard Kipling, that man who wrote books, uh, when the latter said he didn't like tambourines, Rudyard Kipling said, young man, if I thought I could win one more soul for Christ by standing on my head and beating a tambourine with my feet, I would learn how to do it. Not because he wanted to be a novelty tambourine player. Because people are precious. And he had that same conviction that Paul wrote about. Though I'm, a free, I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under it, as to win those under the law. To those who are having the law I became like one not having the law, etc., etc. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. It's a real challenge. You know, sometimes people say we don't like the, the way we do stuff at church. It's change, it's different. Sometimes people try controversial ways of reaching out new things that seem, well, we've tried that before or that'll never work. But let's try Let's find new, innovative ways. You know, in my old church, there was a lady who was 90, and she stopped coming to church because she said, I don't come to church to go to the cinema because we've got a projection screen. And she never came again, though I visited her in a home and talked about stuff like that. And she never really got it. Too often the church is lived in the past, precious things that God had given, but lost that imperative to make Jesus known. Find new ways, creative ways. Lots we could say about that, but Jesus calls us also to make disciples, not just converts. You know, that in proclaiming Jesus today, it's not just to get people in and say, well, let's go out and get some more, but to make disciples Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded. The word disciple is a word that roots kind of come from to become a pupil or a student of. Someone says this, races aren't run because they're begun. Buildings aren't built because foundations are laid. It's started, but it's also completed. That as we call and as we see people come to faith, we need those to encourage those to grow. We don't just kind of abandon them and say, well, find your own way now. You know, I've got friends who've, who've turned up with their newborn baby. You know, they've, they've known it's coming, and uh, they've, they've known as well. And uh, they get to hospital, and they turn back at home, and they've got this little bundle of life. And, and the baby doesn't feed itself, and it doesn't change itself, and it doesn't move itself, and it doesn't clothe itself, and it doesn't check the bath temperature itself, nor tell you why it's crying. It's fragile, and it's dependent. And it needs the parents. Now, the goal in, in making disciples is not to foster dependency, but maturity. That all of us need people to come alongside us and encourage us to keep growing. We need to be taught ways 
of how to live out this Christian faith, but we also need to be shown what it looks like to be modeled, how to pray, what it means to be a witness that's doing this, how to love others, how to read the scripture, how to to live an obedient, wise Christian life. That all of us play our part in this. It's why we encourage small groups and prayer triplets and, and friendships in the church that we partner together. And as new people come, we don't just say, well, we've got our friends, but we look out to grow each other. Again, in the words of Paul, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can we say that? Someone says to you, look at my life and emulate what I do. Challenge, isn't it? But that's part of what it means to be a growing disciple. Finally, rely on the Holy Spirit, not just on techniques and programs. If we, if we kind of just kind of get into mechanistic ways, Maybe some will come to faith, but we actually want to rely on the Holy Spirit. He's the one that changes hearts. He's the one who changes lives. He's the one that enables, as we walk across the room, to connect, to love the unlovely, to have perseverance and passion, generosity, when it just seems hard work. You know, how do we get to be good witnesses? How do we get to be better at proclaiming Jesus today? Simple steps that need to be done. I, um, my next door neighbor in Leicester, in, in uh, Braunston, a lady called Sheila, um, for about three years, four years of being there, I, I uh, kind of saw her and she walked this pit bull terrier. I was a bit scared of her, really. She had this mean-looking dog. And occasionally I used to be out in the, the garden doing gardening. And it was great. I loved it. Some people thought I was the gardener for the church. <laughs> They'd they see me out there in my dirty clothes. And, uh, and then she discovered I was the minister. She was really shocked. And, we, and I just felt in those moments that God began to, to say, you need to start you know, speaking to her. And we'd stop and chat over the garden. And I'd keep a distance from a big pit bull. Pit bull and, but eventually she came to faith. It wasn't just because I didn't lead her to faith in that way. But she... We started coming to an outreach group, like a, a, a group that met socially, and, and she came to faith and loved Jesus. I love that as the Holy Spirit speaks, inspires, and puts people on your heart. There's people on my heart at the moment that, that I know that God has placed that I'm praying for and seeking opportunity to witness. Bill Hybels, I'll just read a couple of quotes as we finish. It says this. Think about it. When you got up today, whether you walked into an office complex, a construction site, an office, a classroom, the local grocery store, you're probably surrounded by a sea of faces. Some belonging to friends you know and family members you treasure. Others belong to perfect strangers. Just imagine the shift in your focus. If you made a habit of approaching all of them with this attitude, my ultimate goal is to see how many of these people I can have on my elbow when I cross the finish line of this earthly life and run into God's presence for all eternity. And someone from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association says this, a church which bottlenecks its specialists to do its witnessing is living in a violation of both Jesus and the consistent pattern of the early Christians. Evangelism was the task of the, holy church, the whole church, not just the named characters. Christmas is a great season. Take the most of it. Office parties, 
people dropping cards through the door, people coming next week to services. Um, look out for visitors. Go and say hi. Walk across this room. Say hi. I'm. How come you're here today? Can I get you a coffee? And see where God leads. Let's pray. I simply want to ask, Holy Spirit, you'd let us not just do this theoretically, but work it out in practice. If we haven't got many non-Christian friends, maybe see just coming to church and being a welcomer, someone who will spot the new face or the newcomer and, and just seek to build friendships here. Holy Spirit, please, please mold in us the same compassion and passion that Jesus has for the lost. And all of us are not experts. But I want to ask to say that, Lord, I want to say for me and I hope for all of us here, we want to be better at this. to see the opportunities and to respond faithfully. To proclaim you to people today. It's not our job to save them, that's yours. But we want to tell, we want to be those witnesses that are scattered as we go forth from here and tell others and show others and make Jesus known. If you agree with that prayer, maybe you could say amen.